Hello and welcome to the Deep 2 NBA podcast. My name's Sean and joining me as always is the one and only Dante Boffer, Mr. Boffman man. How are we? So damn good. Let's talk about basketball. Okay. Nice and <laughs> nice and to the point. Um yeah, the trade deadline. We said that we said when we left at the end of last episode that the landscape is going to look completely different and we weren't wrong. We actually to be fair, we said it could look completely different or it could look uh, you know, the exact same with Julius Randle wearing a different jersey. <laughs> and that was wrong because it looks completely different and Julius Randle is still in a Knicks jersey. I Julius really, Randle might be in a Knicks jersey for the rest of time. I really like Julius Randle. I'm still standing by what I said last week and I still stand by having a good role man uh, and just an option for young guards to pass to. We don't need to really litigate this, but I take, <laughs> I take issue with the fact that you're using the word good. Anyway, yeah. let's talk... Well, speaking about Trades. speaking of people who uh, have the word good, <laughs> the biggest trade of the deadline, I'm going to say, um, is D'Angelo Russell for Andrew Wiggins. Um, the terms are D'Angelo Russell was traded from Golden State alongside Amari Spellman and Jacob Evans for Andrew Wiggins and Minnesota's 2021 first round pick, which is top three protected, and their 2021 second round pick. Um and right after this trade happened, I had a few people, uh, including you and friend of the podcast, Alessio, uh, you guys were sort of consoling me. Um, and I remember one of you saying, oh, look, you know, this team's been to the playoffs once in 15, 15 years and you've got their pick. Like, that's extremely valuable, which, yes, it is. If you look at it from a completely, like, just remove all the names and you say, oh, well, this team's never been to the playoffs in the X, Y, and Z. But, like... Yes, they've got a bad history, but this team, this trade makes them better, I think. Whether that be playoffs better or 10 games better, it's still not going to be... Like, I don't think they have to worry about the projections. Like, they don't have to worry about it being protected. I still think they're probably going to be sort of in Phoenix's spot this year, um, where they've had an upgrade. They're not a bottom dweller, but they're sort of not really in the playoff picture. So, like, that's... I'm going to say that's the 10th pick. Um... But how much draft compensation would you ask for if you were a hypothetical team and you were just going to consume the Andrew Wiggins contract? I think there should have been another pick in there. It it would have been quite heavily protected, like probably lottery protected for maybe 2023. Mm. And then, you know, like with a, um, a disappearing protection after that becoming unprotected. So that would have made more sense to me, but I'd... Yeah, I don't know. I just don't think you can overstate the value of that of that pick because it's top three protected in twenty twenty one, which is supposed to be a, like a, the a double really, draft. Yeah, maybe. But, yeah, yeah, no, it won't be the double draft. Okay. It'll be too early, but it's supposed to be deep. It's supposed to be a lot of good talent, and then it's unprotected in twenty twenty two. So if this team bottoms out the Timberwolves and they're awful and they get a top three pick next year, you get a shot at their top. You know, like another top ten pick the year after, which might be the double draft, mm. where you get the college players and the high school players if the NBA changes the rule. So that's like an incredibly valuable pick, and you <coughs> also don't need to like the Warriors don't need to make that pick. The Warriors can do what the Cavs were doing with that pick that they received from Brooklyn a few years ago, where they were like, all right, well, we can either make this pick or we can like trade it out for a veteran. They yeah. ended up keeping it. But that pick would be an excellent centerpiece of any deal that was going to bring like another really good player. And with Wiggins' contract, you know, if the Warriors attach like one of their future picks and and the Minnesota pick to like Wiggins' contract, like that could in theory bring you in someone 
Like a Bradley Beal type. Or, yeah, yeah, someone of someone of that caliber and someone who's sitting in that mid twenty millions per per year salary slot. So and I also don't I think this makes the Timberwolves better, but I don't think they're gonna be good. Yeah. I think they've got two really good offensive players, a bunch of like yet to be decided or average offensive players and like almost everyone on the roster is like not that good at defence and the list of the list of teams who have been like elite level performers when their two best players are both bad and uninterested in defense. Hmm. Like no team has ever been good with that. And like Cat has not really proven at any point in his career that he can anchor a good defensive team. And Russell has proven to this point that he can't be yeah. like a good individual defender. To that point of 166 qualifying players who've played at least 24 minutes a game over 30 games this season. Uh, D'Angelo Russell is 151st in defensive rating and Cat is 155th. So mm. you're taking two of the absolute worst defensive players in the league, putting you on the same team. So like, yeah, uh, they might, you know, they might put up, you've got here that they'll be winning games 150 to 149. They, they might. They almost did against yeah, Toronto they, in the first game. They might, put up you know 130 points but they'll probably concede 145 like mm-hmm. if you've got the best offense in the league but you've got the worst defense in history then like, it doesn't really matter so I'm dubious and because I'm dubious I think that value on that pick is going to be elite and I would I would bet against the Warriors making both their pick this year in the 2020 draft and the, the Timberwolves pick next year in the 2021 draft I think one of those picks will be shipped for you mean a higher level? Definitely talent. one, maybe two, or you reckon? No, I think I think they'll make one just so they can get like a blue chipper yeah. on a on a rookie contract, uh, and the other one they'll they'll ship. Well, that's what I'm starting to think as well because the Warriors front office said that they want a quote Spurs like run unquote, so they want to be good for 20 years. So, um, a various people at the Ringer, I think it was KOC that wrote about it, that said that they need to find the Kawhi Leonard next to their Tim Duncan and Steph Curry. So. As Steph and Clay, you know, uh, they're already on the wrong side of thirty. As they age, they need someone to, you know, carry the carry the mantle. Um, yeah, I mean, good luck finding it in this draft. Maybe you find it in the next draft. But look, I I don't want to say anything about the draft because we haven't really dug deep into it. I know you watch college, but you know, you haven't really seen anything that's amazing. But again, we'll wait and see. We'll wait for the tournament, and we might wait for the next Jamarant to pop up. But just with that next pick, yes, they. I think. Look, they're going to be terrible on defense, but coming down on offense, I think, you know, what. <laughs> say whatever you want about D'Angelo Russell. I know you and I aren't big fans, and I had to actually watch him for a while, so, you know, feel sorry for me, but <laughs> he's going to come down, and the biggest, his biggest weakness has been against switching defenses. So when, because he is like such an ineffective uh, D'Angelo, this is because he's, he's so ineffective at getting to the rim and actually like drawing fouls or, you know, putting up efficient shots at the rim. Um, he's really limited to just shooting those like mid-range shots and those pull-up threes off pick and roll or just off off the top of the break. But now that he's going to be with Carl Anthony Towns, if he's you know if if they do get a switch on that, then he can either dance with the big guy and like put up his inefficient threes or which are quite efficient, but he just can't get past him. Or you can just pass it down to the best post player in the game right now, arguably the best post game in the player who's got a small guy on him. Mm-hmm. So defenses obviously aren't going to want to guard their you know, Carl Anthony Towns with a small guy, so they're probably going to stick to a traditional pick-and-roll coverage, um, which I think is definitely going to bode well for D'Angelo's 
uh, stats, but can I just say, uh, in his first game uh, in a Minnesota uniform against Toronto, he had 22 points, 5 assists, and 6 turnovers, um, and a negative 22 plus minus, which I think is a bit amazing, because that game, I don't have the score in front of me, but it was a close game. It came down to the final minutes of the fourth quarter. Um, I think it was a Serge Ibaka shot that put them up to seal the game. Mm. But to be a starting player with 30-plus minutes and to have a negative 22 in a close game, that's a bit... Yeah, it's egregious. Yeah. So, all right. So, I think it sounds like you're a bit higher on them than I am. I'm just like... Like, look at the West next year. Like, who are they better than? The Pelicans are getting better. The Grizzlies are getting better. The Thunder are getting better. Maybe the Spurs implode this offseason and like next mm. year they just crater. But yeah. like, you know, you better against the Spurs at your peril. Yeah. The Suns are, you know, not like... On the rise. Yeah, well, you know. Well, we know that I'm higher on the Suns than you yeah, are. I can't afford to be higher on the Suns. Well, but just, the Suns are a better team than the Wolves. And I would, I would be very comfortable saying that next season the Suns will be a better team than the Wolves. And it's like, all right, sick. Who, like, who are they replacing? Where is this going? Anyway, so what about Wiggins then? What about Wiggins on your Warriors? I, well, as you know, we always talk about how I've, I'm enamored by Wiggins in the past and I've always really enjoyed looking at him from afar because I love looking over in my high, you know, White Castle. Is that the saying? Is it White Horse or... Ivory Castle. Ivory Tower. <laughs> yeah. Ivory Tower, God. Yeah. So I love sitting up there and looking afar at the doldrums of the West, saying, yeah. oh, look, I'm a Golden State fan. I'm looking at, oh, Wiggins, that's cute. Oh, I wonder <laughs> what happens to him. But, you know, it's sort of like one of those Game of Thrones scenes where, like, the the wildlings are walking towards the wall, and as they do, the people, like, the Night's Watch are like, God, they're actually getting pretty close. Like, that's a giant. He might be able to climb the climb the thing. That's a fucking ice dragon. <laughs> we should probably watch yeah. out for that one. <laughs> and it's like the Wiggins dragon. I don't know if that's... Him, <laughs> it's gotten closer and closer. And now, all of a sudden, I'm eating crow. That's another Game of Thrones reference. Um, eating three-eyed crow. Whatever, <laughs> because he's on my team now. And I am... I wasn't, as I said, I was looking for consolation from you guys um, after it happened. But look... Obviously, you feel better after his first game where he was, what was he? He was like... Uh, At 25, five steals. Right. Uh, I think he was like... Eight, five of, 12, eight of, of 12 shooting. I yeah, was just getting... five of eight from the from deep or something like yeah. that. Like good he, he was worse in his next game, but just the fact that the Warriors can now switch everything on defense and before they just never switched when D'Angelo was on the court. And it's like, well, this isn't Warriors basketball because we have Draymond Green and we are one of the few teams that has the ability to just like switch everything and just live with the results because you've got great defenders on your team. Um, and even if Wiggins isn't, hasn't reached his potential in terms of the great defender compartment, he is still a longer and more athletic player than, um, than D'Angelo and mm. more versatile on defense. So I'm liking that aspect. Um, but obviously, I also don't want to rate the guy when he hasn't played with Stephen Clay yet. Well, that's the thing that I think is going to be really interesting because I do worry about without Stephen Clay and like Pete Draymond on the court, 
Wiggins is going to slide naturally into the role that Russell was operating in this year, which is basically like nobody else is, can score, like go and be, you know, mm. be a shot creator, be the hero. And that's not the role that Wiggins will have if this team is going to be good next year. Mm. So I do think it's good that Steph's coming back targeting a March return because at least you can kind of get Wiggins maybe like a month where he's playing with Steph and Draymond and he's like fitting into what, like a decent facsimile of what his role is going to be next year because... This will this experiment will just be about whether or not Wiggins can thrive in a simplified role, and he's not really had a simplified role ever in Minnesota. But at the same time, he hasn't been able to handle that complex role of being like a ball dominant wing scorer. So, you know, ideally, if he slides into the Harry Barnes role, except that he's a better defender, more versatile, and he is a good defender. Like he's not terrible. Hmm. he's not terrible and he's got the athletic traits the other thing that does make me like a little bit nervous is that the last time he played in a locker room with an and, alpha yeah. dog mentality star and a winner and a winner <laughs> was Jimmy Butler in Minnesota and that year he had the worst year of his career like he was terrible mm-hmm. and now coming in I don't know if Draymond gives him a hard time or like you know doesn't like take him under his wing like we could be looking at like Wiggins kind of like not responding well to that kind of mm. um, like coaching and criticism from Dre he which could will, be fitting out yeah he could be fitting out he could be channeling his inner Kevin Love so it'll be really interesting it'll be like one of the most fascinating like things to watch for the first two months of next season mm. um, but that's still you know very far away and I don't think it'll have much of an impact for the next you know the last like two and a half months of this season mm. well look I'll just sum it up in my eyes I think that he is uh, in this team he's a better player than D'Angelo Russell because obviously we didn't need another guard and I think he's going to look better next to Stephen Clay <coughs> which means he's going to look better to other teams um, and I think if you're going to offer any team in the league, Andrew Wiggins, if he looks good next to Stephen Clay, and our pick this year and Minnesota's pick next year, that is all of a sudden a package with a lot of matching salary for a superstar, and that could be Bradley Beal, or that could be a tier above. And I know that there was a lot of Warriors fans on Twitter that were like, oh, hang on, what did Embiid just post on Instagram? Is he like, <laughs> is he upset? Would you like two first-round picks and a crappy player? Like That's the sort of trade that is uh, puts us light years ahead. Light years ahead indeed. Well, speaking of light years ahead, but not at all, Miami and Memphis, um, they have swapped everything. And would you like to read out the terms for us, please? So it was Andre Iguodala, Jay Crowder, and Solomon Hill going from Memphis to Miami and traveling the other way, Justice Winslow, James Johnson, who was flipped to Minnesota for Gorgie Jang, and then Dion Waiters, who was waived. So it's effectively... Um, Iggy, Crowder, and Hill for Winslow and James Johnson. Now, I've read your section on this trade in the latest article that's on Medium, forward slash the deep two with hyphens in the spaces. Um, that's also a plug because our article's live as of today uh, where you get you, you myself, uh, Lucas, and Alessia are all writing about every trade. And you're much higher on this for Memphis than I am because I just think that Miami have gotten away with an absolute rot here. My thinking on this is kind of influenced by what I think they gave up because Iggy hadn't played for them and I'm not convinced that Iggy is going to be like the Iggy that we remember like 
the track record for non-LeBron James 36-year-olds taking a lengthy period off basketball and then coming back mm. and being the same player is almost non-existent. I'm happy to concede that giving up Iggy and gaining Iggy can be a neutral because obviously he didn't play for the team before. Yeah. And, and I, mean, I still think it's a raw Solomon player. Hill is not good. Solomon yeah. Hill was like, you know, like a 12th man kind of player at, at this point in his career. Jay Crowder is like that kind of like Damari Carroll, like platonic ideal of like a 3 and D, except that he's shooting 37% from the floor from the floor this season so but he's a, bo- he's a body that he can throw out the big wings in the playoffs yeah I mean like you, you you talk about throwing a body at the big wing but if it's like if like Jay Crowder is just going to get mown over by anyone that you like you know like in quotation marks like throw at him you know throw him at you know like you can't he can't defend Siakam he can't defend Simmons he probably can't defend Harris he can't defend Antetokounmpo I wouldn't back him against Middleton like not from like a physical strength you know aspect but yeah. like He's just not that good a defender. But you're more comfortable with him than Kali Olenek or Myers. Yeah, Leonard. yeah, definitely, definitely. But that that definitely he fits the physical build of someone who you yeah. would like be you know like you would in theory be comfortable. Yeah. And going the other way, I really like Justice Winslow. Justice Winslow, when I picture him in like that light blue Memphis, uh, that Memphis jersey, I'm just like, oh man, like this is a Memphis basketball player. I still think the fit is like a little bit questionable because the non-Jarmant Jaron Jackson Jr. dirty secret of this Memphis team is that their bench is actually one of the best benches in the league. Mm-hmm. And when their bench comes on, they're killing teams. Like the starters are actually like not blowing people away like when they're on the court, but it's just that their bench is so much better than the other team's bench. And so if you were going to bring Winslow into that second unit in a ball-dominant role, obviously you're not going to bring him in in, in a ball-dominant role in the starters because you've got John Morant. So if you're going to bring him in the second unit, then you're taking the ball out of De'Anthony Melton and um, Tyus Jones' hands. And they've been two of the best backup points in the league. So mm-hmm. he might have to kind of like bear down and just play D, not tap into that potential that we saw last season of him as like a bulky point forward there was a stretch of like three months last season where he was averaging seven assists mm. a game like he's a yeah, good passer. really under the radar but yeah, yeah he, he is that sort of he's he's pretty much like it's like he's a power forward that's always at the high key uh, the high post just always looking for a dude but isn't he's never it's not like he's posting up he's just always got that sort of look about him that he's always ready to pass it out from the high post, but he's just not in the high post. Yeah. I don't know if that makes any sense, but he's just no, always I get what you that mean. sort of big. I think, he'll, sort of I think he'll slot in to this team and you'll see a little bit less of each of the two backup points that I just mentioned before, and you'll see a lot less of Kyle Anderson mm. because he's a much better player than Kyle Anderson is. Uh, he can do a lot more defensively and he's, you know, like, God bless Kyle Anderson, slow-mo, but Winslow mm. is, like, a pretty damn good athlete and he's, like, legit, genuinely, like, 6'6", 235. Like, he's built. So yeah, yeah. I think it's a good move for Memphis. He fits their ideology and their age timeline really well. And I think the underrated thing that I... Th- that I, I think it was Chris Vernon from The Ringer was saying that Memphis struggles to get young free agents yeah. that aren't like massive overpays. The one time they went after like a prize free agent, it was four years ago for Chandler Parsons and that was terrible. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you couldn't have predicted that happening, but it's just like no young like mid-20s free agent who's good is going to be like, yeah, I'll go to Memphis on like a reasonable deal. Mm-hmm. Winslow's got um, this year and then two more years, the last year being a $13 million team option on his deal. So he's locked in for three years. You know, mm-hmm. like that's, that's valuable for a team like Memphis. So, 
You are also not mentioning that he's played 11 games. I mean, he's he's, <laughs> he's injured, but I, I imagine in order for this trade to have gone through, they would have had to have had access. They yeah, would have had to yeah. have given them access Look to the medical the records. Which, if they've decided to not flip Iggy for a first-round pick, which in theory would have been there. Like, you know, like someone would have offered them a protected first yeah. for Iggy. If they decided to go with Winslow instead, that tells you that they must have seen the medical reports and decided that it's not a problem. Yeah. So, you know, they're, they're a, um, a playoff team this year so far without Iggy and they'll be a playoff team. They've just upgraded a without, position that didn't exist. Yeah, if Winslow comes back, you know, in 10 games, then they can bring him in slowly in a small role and then they've got two more years of him to mm. integrate him. So yeah. I like it. And for... Miami, I think it's misguided to be like, oh, like, I, I see, I'm, I'm cold the other way. I don't think it's a good trade for Miami. Like, it's not a bad trade, but I'm just not looking at Iggy and being like, oh, right. he's going to really swing the title race. Do you, want, do you want me to explain the Miami section? Yeah, do it. So, they got rid of a guy in Justice Winslow who's been injured, and yes, he's got that really, really big high lottery pedigree. It's like, well, Danny Angel had how many picks for him? And it's like, you know, you drafted Frank Kaminsky instead of Justice Winslow. And, like, he's an amazing player. Front and I, the tank. I think he is, like... You know, he, he does have the potential to be, like, a really unique player. And next to Triple J, that's amazing. But he's not helping you win a championship this year because the best form of Miami this season to win a championship and next season doesn't really have him on his team because they've clearly gone the way of Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler and, you know, Duncan Robinson and Goran Dragic and players like that. So in terms of winning a championship... They've done a better thing. They've look. Let's let's call Iguodala a neutral because we haven't seen anything from him. Just saying, in his first game in a Miami uniform, he had such an Iggy in such an Iggy line. It was like, you know, five points and like one, two rebounds or whatever, but plus twenty two. Yeah, it was it was just an amazing Iggy game. Anyway, um, what they've done in getting off James Johnson and Dion Waiters um, is. Yes, they picked up Solomon Hill, which is nobody's favorite player, but he expires at the end of the year. So um, if Kelly Olenek picks up his option, his $12 million player option this year, which you assume he would because I don't know where else he's going to get that kind of money, Miami has $50 million in cap space, right? And we all know that Pat, Pat Riley wants to run out there and lay rings on the table and say, hey, Giannis, do you want to come here? Hey, XYZ player, come here. Um, and we also all know that there are no big free agents in this free agent class apart from Anthony Davis. I think they should definitely at least try. Obviously, Anthony Davis seems like a lock to um, re-sign with the Lakers. But like you know, but if you and I were Anthony Davis and Pat Riley said, "Hey, look at our team. Who's going to be a better team five years from now? Who would you rather sign with?" That's at least an argument that you could ask. Obviously, there's probably some clutch things going on there, and he's probably a lock. But let's say you don't do that, and you want to go for Giannis in 2021. So you can go to free agents this year and say, "Hey." I've written here Davis Bertans, who's getting about $7 million this year. You can say, hey, Bertans... Davis Bertans is going to be getting a lot more than $7 million next year, though. Well, Miami can say, we'll give you $20 million for one year, right? Why re-sign with um, Washington for, like, three years, 7 mil per, or maybe 10 mil per, but you can get 20 mil this year. You can play on a good team, on a winning team. You're a good player, so you're obviously going to do well. And then you can just go back into free agency and get that. Let's say Washington offer you the exact same contract. You've just made $20 million extra dollars. They can offer that same thing to Danilo Gallinari and Serge Ibaka. Like, yes, these aren't flashy names, but you get these guys in your system for one year and then you've still got the open cap space to go hard at a player like 
um, Giannis or whoever they want to go for in 2021. Yeah. Which is, look, that brings you closer to a championship. And I am a big, big fan of just offering dudes just huge one-year contracts just to go nuts. Try and try and play well that one year. Um, sort of reward them. Get them in your system. Maybe Bertan says, hey, I really like it here. And maybe Pat Riley throws the rings out on the table for Davis Bertans of all people and says, hey, if you take a pay cut, you're going to be like Chris Bosch and Dwayne Wade and we're going to have someone like Giannis running the show and we're going to win the championship. Who knew that everyone looking for the next Chris Bosch just needed to look in Latvia? <laughs> Who knew? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 good. And I think the, the best example of an idea like that is when the Sixers three years ago offered JJ Redick 20 million. Yeah. I think he was a one-year contract like 22. Yeah. They brought him over from the Clippers and that really facilitated, you know, like, it was kind of like the missing piece for that team to take the next step. So, yeah, I think it's I think it's a I think it's a good trade for Memphis in that it, they keep their financial flexibility going forward, but I don't I'm not as high on the on-court product for this year. Okay, let's just agree to disagree then. I love agreeing to because, disagree. Because um, also one more thing when it comes to cap space, because Memphis gave up their cap space and they've obviously got all these players. They're a bad team, so they, they're not going to do anything with their cap space. As you said, no one comes there. But look, we talk about vulturing when we did the off-season previews where you're like, hey, if you're like an Atlanta or if, you know, if you're one of those forlorn fives, so it used to be Cleveland, but now it's Detroit probably... Um, and then Memphis and Atlanta and New York. So you say, hey, we've got open space. Give us your bad money, and we'll take we'll take an asset. But you know, we'll just we'll take your bad money. So Memphis has pretty much eliminated any chance of taking on bad contracts and gaining an asset with it. Um, but they've also missed out on their chance to overpay for players that they might want on a one year deal or a short term deal. Like, I've but, read- but that's what they view Winslow as. That's, that's true. That's their overpay. But the cost of getting Winslow is taking on like $40 million in the form of James Johnson, now Gorgi Zheng, and Dion Waiters, who they just waive for nothing, which is fair enough. But the cost of picking up that one player who, let's let's say you still, let's say you think he's a first round draft pick kind of value, right? So you've taken on one first round draft pick for like $30 million. That's a big cost. Yeah, but $30 million and they view Gorgi Zheng as like an like a, a really good backup five well, which then, I think that's questionable but that's the way that they view it they're like again with that logic of like we would like struggle to get another like good you know like another good player to round out our front court rotation we have the opportunity to get one that we think is good now and it's like what if Gorgi Jang in Memphis is 30% better than he was this year in Minnesota well, yeah, well, well then it's like all of a sudden he's really good and that's possible because we've seen Gorgie Jang play at a level that allowed teams to like you know allowed Minnesota to offer him 16 million like per year over four years like players like that don't get those contracts without showing anything like even Bismack Biombo who showed Timothy Moskov I mean Moskov was the linchpin of that defense the year that the Cavs won the title that's why he got that I think LeBron was the linchpin of that defense. Moscow averaged like two and a half blocks per game in the finals. Like that kind of thing. Beyond though, the year that he got that contract when he was with the, um, when the Magic gave him that contract after his postseason with the Raptors, yeah. it's because the dude averaged like 18 boards yeah. per game and the team looked at it like, well, holy shit, like he's, he's, a, he's like the best rebounding center in the league worth 16 million a year. The answer we know is no, because, you know, like Andre Drummond just got shipped for a bag of peanuts. Mm. More on that later. But I'm saying like, it's just a long-winded way of saying that like, Gorgie Jang didn't get that 
he isn't a bum. He didn't get that contract because he showed nothing. Like, if Gorgie Jane can tap into, like, some of his old potential and become, like, a decent player, then it's not looking at taking on Winslow and $30 million that's going to block your cat space. It's looking at taking on Winslow and a good backup five. Which, if they already think that they have the pieces that they need, which their young core now looks like Josh Jackson. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> well, just finishing up on that um, core, like, do you think they need one more piece? Do you think... No, because I don't, and I don't think they do either because it's Jar, Jaron Jackson Jr., and Dylan, Dylan Brooks, Brooks, who they just re-signed on a three-year yeah, 35, yeah, yeah, yeah. with Tyus Jones, who came over on a free agent deal. That's extremely reasonable. D'Anthony Melton's still on his rookie contract. You've got Winslow, JV's re-signed at like 10 million per year for the next three years. Like, that's your top seven dudes and they're all good. Does that win you 50 games? Not this season, but like... Next Jar- season? You think Jar Morant's going to be an all-star? Jaron Jackson Jr. might be the second best player from that draft class. Like, if they take another leap in their second and third years, respectively, like, mm. then absolutely they could win 50 games. They've They think they have the pieces, like, here, and I don't disagree with them. And it's not like... Um, it's not like Atlanta where they're running with John Collins, um, DeAndre Hunter, and Trey Young. Yeah, and I mean, like the the whole conversation that we're having around contracts at the moment and like annual salaries has kind of changed, and I haven't noticed it in past years. But this season, the dialogue has kind of changed because we're looking at Wiggins and being like, oh, like some people are like, oh, they took on you know like the remaining ninety million in Wiggins' contract, which is like, oh, yuck. Yeah. But then other people are looking at it and being like, all right, well, if you want to get Bradley Beal, they have the same salary number, mm-hmm. so you can send Wiggins out with other things for Beal. If Gorgie Jang sucks and you keep him for a year, then all of a sudden he just becomes like a sixteen million dollar expiring, and then you want to go and trade for you know player X, and you attach your own lottery protected first round pick and a young player plus Gorgie Jang's salary, like. It's it's easy for the dialogue to kind of like shift. Um, All right. Well, congratulations yeah. on speaking about Gorgi Zheng for more than two minutes. I'm very proud of you. It was an effort. <laughs> speaking of players like Gorgi Zheng, um, let's move on to Andre Drummond. My mans. Uh, what are your thoughts on this trade? Because as soon as Atlanta, we're going to get to the four team, or as soon as Atlanta got their Clint Capella and actually Dwayne Dedman to a lesser extent, you know, they're sort of out of looking for a big man. And then Detroit's looking around going, well, who actually else wants to pay $28 million for a throwback center, let's say, you know, a, a ground bound center. Um, and yeah, Cleveland has put a bet here that they are better off grabbing Andre Drummond with their $28 million in open cap space than leaving it open and trying to sign someone. So this is the same argument with Memphis. What are you going to do with the cap space? Just why don't you just fill it and then you'll have it in your system and you can re-sign the guy. Would you rather, if you're both of these teams and you know probably different arguments for both, would you rather have Andre Drummond for $28 million or just cap space? Cap space if I was Detroit. What about Cleveland? I don't, I don't know because I don't know what Cleveland's doing. Well, what are Detroit going to do with the cap space now? Nothing. That, that's the point. Sign Evan Fournier for three they're going to years. Re-sign, they're going to re-sign Christian Wood, and they, next year they're going to start Wood at the five and Seiko Dumbuya at the four. Sneaky. Guess how old Christian Wood is. 24. Yeah, that's yeah. a good guess. He's been... I'm a bit shocked that he is... Yeah, like that's sort of out of the age of... Whoa, yeah. he's 23 years old. Like he's out of that yeah, he's young a, age he's group. well into the mid-20s. He's, this, yeah. this is him. Because he's bounced around. He's been on five teams. So... The thing that I think with 
this trade, at least on the Detroit side, I think that Detroit's relatively fucked it because there was, for weeks, talk connecting the Hawks to this move for Drummond. The Hawks ended up giving giving up the Brooklyn, their, like Brooklyn's this year pick, mm. Brooklyn's 2020 pick. Uh, this year pick, that yeah, sounds good. <laughs> I tongue-tied myself. <laughs> Giving up Brooklyn's 2020 pick, which Atlanta had for Capella. That was like the main asset that they traded to get Capella. Mm-hmm. Drummond's in a vacuum a better player than Capella. And they wanted like those, those, those talks don't come <laughs> out of nowhere. They wanted Drummond. So it's like surely surely three weeks ago that pick was on the table and and Detroit was like holding out for more they were like this is our franchise center he's a two time all star he's leading the league in rebounds do better and then two weeks later they traded him for UNC alumni <laughs> respect John Henson and a second round pick and, who and was, Brandon Knight yeah and Brandon Put Knight some respect Brandon Knight the return <laughs> yeah 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 I didn't even think of that I can't Go wait on. For the Nets to play the Pistons and DeAndre Jordan can just dunk all over Brandon Knight in a Pistons uniform. Again. You'll you'll actually never believe this, but I can wait until Pistons versus <laughs> Nets. So on the Cleveland side, I in the article that we plugged before that's up on the blog now, which is quite good. Like if you like a mix of really funny people writing really funny things and serious basketball analysis it's probably for you I was quite scathing of the Cavs I, I since writing that I saw on Twitter someone was basically saying that the reason why so it's weird that they would make this trade with Tristan Thompson still on the roster because mm-hmm. they're like carbon copy players like not exactly but they do the same thing as well yeah so what like why is Thompson not on this roster why did they not trade him because they would have been able to get something for him the Clippers and the Celtics were both rumored to be interested in Tristan Thompson yeah anyway the reason why he's not on the roster is because if they take his expiring into the off season because they've got his bird rights they can they can go over the cap to sign him and then that salary could be used in a sign and trade to bring somebody back mm. and because he's got because they've got his bird rights in theory they could sign him to a longer deal than anybody else could and then he's an asset to move forwards but then yeah. the question is is he an asset yeah I th- no I think he is I so think, how I think come he really they could... couldn't find a suitor for him this offset this well because they think line. they can get more you know they the, didn't want to this, settle for two second round picks this is the same team that wanted to this is the same Cleveland team that said oh we're not going to trade Kevin Love for anything less than two first round picks or one first round pick and a blue chipper this is the same Cleveland team that thought it was a good idea to create the sex land backcourt (laughs) with Colin Sexton and did you come up with that one no I saw it I saw it Uh, Darius Garland and Colin Sexton and sex land I love it they they yeah they've been just bad well so far so there's nothing to suggest here that Kobe Altman the GM is a good talent evaluator. The biggest move that he's made is LeBron leaving. So, you know, like, yeah. congratulations. Sort of out of his power, but... Yeah, but it's just like, LeBron, I don't know, like, that... Yeah, that pick that we mentioned before where I, where I mentioned Golden State could kind of do what the Cavs did with that pick where there was all, all season long you knew it was going to be a valuable pick and the question was are they going to trade it for a veteran that can help them win or are they going to keep it for a potential post-LeBron world. So the Warriors have that option where they can you know, make the pick or trade it. Yeah. I think it was the right decision to make that pick, but then they drafted oh, Colin no, Sexton. It, def- it definitely was so the right they, decision. They drafted Colin Sexton, who, you know, like t- going back to the point that I just made about 
maybe Kobe Altman can't evaluate players is that Colin Sexton people were like oh yeah he's going to be at the very worst like a really good defender like a lockup defender and as I've mentioned a couple of times through two seasons or one and a half seasons Colin Sexton's the worst guard defender in the entire league like mm. Like name any player like JJ Redick is not as bad of a, a defender mm. as Colin Sexton is the numbers are just like an eyesore he's got one of the worst defensive rate. like of the 166 that are qualified Colin Sexton's probably like 163rd mm. there's actually you know talk about a fucking bad team there's actually five Cavaliers players in the top seven worst individual defensive ratings <laughs> Um, this season so yeah going back to Andre Drummond uh, in theory Andre Drummond should help that like he's not known as the defensive linchpin that like Rudy Gobert Detroit had one of the worst interior defenses in the league so So, but you get you get a defensive big so that you can hopefully fix your defense if you don't like you know he's not going to make them worse as the worst defense in the league he can't make them worse like you would hope anyway so I think both teams are better off just having the cap space. If he is not valuable enough to get an, a real asset in return, obviously it's like a, I think it's like a fake second round pick anyway. Um, then I think you're better off just holding on to the cap space. Um, and if come this off season or come next trade deadline, if some teams like, oh, we really need to get off this money, like just what ha- just what happened with Memphis, where they were able to take in Justice Winslow yeah. by taking on some money. Yeah, Detroit has that option now where they can take on money. Yeah. Um, yeah, they'll or, take on money if you attach a pick. Yeah, yeah, they'll do what they'll do what Brooklyn did post all those years. Yeah, so uh, yeah, I think I mean like it's a terrible trade for Detroit when you look at it from like opportunity cost of them not trading Drummond one year ago or three weeks ago. It's like a piece of bad basketball management. But in the situation where they're in now, where the option is either have Drummond pick up his twenty nine million dollar option on your salary next year or have him do it somewhere else. They made the right call, mm. and it'll give their young bigs, you know, time to blossom. Time to blossom. Well, speaking of trading a guy a year too late, someone who got traded probably at the absolute nadir of his trade value was Robert Covington. What are your thoughts on the Robert Covington? Actually, let's just go through the uh, the details first. Uh, should he not saying it? <laughs> it's a damn. F- 14, 12 player trade. So the, the most players moved in one single deal since 2003 in the Patrick Ewing to Seattle deal. Yeah, so Minnesota shipped out Robert Covington to the Houston Rockets, um, who in turn shipped out Clint Capella to the Atlanta Hawks, who in turn shipped out their Brooklyn's uh, first round pick to the Denver Nuggets, who in turn shipped out Juancho Hernan Gomez and Malik Beasley to the Minnesota Timberwolves. I've missed a few details in there, but that's like yeah, the that's general. The that's the general gist of it. So the Rockets added Covington, who's like Maury, like Maury Ball wet dreams. Yeah. And Atlanta got their guy in Capella, and this is the latest sign that they're kind of like deviating from the plan that they seemed to have last season when. At last year's draft, the 2019 draft, or the 2018 draft, when they 2019. drafted... 2019 draft. Nah, two years ago, when they drafted Trey. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I misspoke. The 2018 draft, they drafted Trey, Herder, and Amari Spellman in the first round. People were like, Warriors East, they've got their Steph, Clay, and Draymond. Two years later, Amari Spellman's like, maybe going to be out of the league. Kevin Herder... He shouldn't be, though. He's a good player. He's okay. Kevin Herder's, <laughs> Kevin Herder's like, good. 
but not great. They've drafted a two, like two wings who, yes, they're looking into the future with Reddish and Hunter, but they have been terrible this season. Mm. So the hope is that they're bringing in Capella and he's going to give Trey more options on the roll and he's going to like, you know, allow, allow people to kind of... Ma- he's going to make you respect the role and not allow you to get out to the three-point shooters as much, which is going to open up space and driving lanes for everybody else. But... What, is that you, true? Because... You already had that in John Collins. You had that in John Collins. Like, John Collins is bad defensively, so fair. And you... Yeah, upgrade there. You have to make the decision this offseason whether you're going to offer him a rookie extension and what that's going to be. He's going to push hard for a max contract, which if you signed him to a max contract, you know, like, joke's on you. <laughs> but John Collins is a better player than Clint Capella anyway. So... Are you sure? Yeah. You're really down on Clint Capella because you're having a bad year this year. But you no, need- I just feel like Capella doesn't do Capella doesn't do anything except rebound at like a great rate. Like he's not an elite defensive player. He has probably the most limited offensive skill set of anybody. He's a role player. Yeah, he's a- and that's a pun like role and role player. Yeah, yeah, that's funny. <laughs> oh, you're a bit salty. <laughs> I think I think he's fine. Like you're not you're not losing a lot. Obviously, Houston have been to the conference finals for multiple years now with Clint Capella as their starting center. Not necessarily their finishing center, but in the early rounds, he guards the Rudy Gobert and he guards the Jokic. And like I think there's a lot of Western Conference teams that are actually happy that Clint Capella is not there. So that which is also a bit of a worry for Houston, which I'm sure we will get to, but. When Houston go up against Denver now and Jokic is just going to like eat PJ Tucker for lunch or eat his lunch, I don't know which one is. Or <laughs> Jokic, is Jokic is a big guy. He probably fit PJ Tucker. Yeah, and that something stomach. that, uh, like an image that always sticks in my head is Harry Barnes um, in the FIBA World Cup this year, France versus USA, where Rudy Gobert just sort of sealed him um, grabbed the ball and just turned around and all of a sudden Harry Barnes has just been flung into like the fourth row because he can't do anything about it so Rudy Gobert yeah he's not the most versatile offensive player but he'll catch the ball and he'll dunk it on top of your head so Capella he plays a role in this Houston team we spoke about this last week when we said going into the trade like going into the trade deadline he plays a role and that role is in the playoffs defending the other big guys so he's not going to play against Golden State but he's going to play against Utah or Denver or he's going to play against teams where you need a big, and that's fine for Atlanta. They have a guy who you know he's serviceable against bigs. He's probably not going to be in the next greatest lineup of all time because he's not that sort of you know dynamic a center. He's not going to be that guy that's like vaunting you up into you know. No one's saying that anyway. But you've got a role player that's better than anyone you had before. I'm 100% fine with Capella, but yeah, what are you going to do with John Collins? Because you can do what you suggested with Tristan Thompson there. You can re-sign him and say well now we've just got him as a trade chip so who wants John Collins as a max player or maybe you sign him to a bit below the max who wants that maybe Cleveland will do it for Andre Drummond (sighs) maybe maybe Golden State can do it yeah Collins is an an interesting one because he's a better player than Capella I'm absolutely steadfast in that but He's a man he's, with no country. He's, he doesn't yeah, shoot well enough yeah, to play the four, exactly, exactly. and he doesn't defend well enough building to play the a team, five. Building, building a team around him would be difficult, and he's not probably good enough to justify you building it around him. So mm. I just think Atlanta's moves at the trade deadline were genuinely schizophrenic because the move that they made to send out Alex Lennon and Jabari Parker, that's fine. If I, just, if I was just like, yeah, they sent that out, that's fine. 
no worries. Like, get rid of Jabari's expiring and get rid of Alex Lane. No dramas. The fact that they brought in... They brought back Dwayne Deadman from the Kings. They got two second round picks to do it, but it's like they had Deadman eight months ago mm. and he was earning $6 million a year and now he's earning $13 million a year. He's playing worse than he ever did when he was with Atlanta and now you have like Capella, Deadman, Bruno Fernando as like your pure five and then you've got John Collins and it, I don't know, it's just messy. It just doesn't work well. It's the sort of trade that happens when you were spotted, if you're the GM, when you were spotted talking to Trey Young in the locker room saying we're going to get you some help. Yeah, but I mean like what, like Travis Lane can't be serious being like the help is Clint Capella. This feels like a team that a He's move that a team than, would make. He's when, better than Alex Len and Dwayne Dedman is better than Bruno Fernando. And yeah. Yeah. Jeff Teague is better than zero people playing backup. It's 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 true, but he has upgraded the team, and they will win more games in the second half of the season. That doesn't mean anything because you're still going to be terrible, and you were terrible, very terrible at the start of the season. But you can say you can say to Trey Young when you're trying to when you're trying to re-sign him to his third contract after he's just like finished his rookie extension. You can say, hey, remember that time we stunk and we really tried to get you help. They don't, like, you remember how KD had the argument where it says, well, Sam Presti, you got rid of um, James Harden in a, in a less, like, cut, what's it called, salary-saving move. You've done all these, like, really sort of stingy things. Why should I re-sign with you? How do I know you're going to put a contender around me? There's fucking Enos Cantor. So, um, they, can, Cantor. they can at least say to their franchise guy who, you know, I believe is a franchise guy and can be one of the best players in the league, they can say, look, we're trying to win with you and we've been trying to win with you since day one. Yeah. Whether that's rational or not, they're doing it because... There is something intangibly value about that, for sure, but... It might not be the right thing to do. Yeah, you might, like, in the attempt to go and get help, bring in a whole bunch of average players on above-average contracts, and then you and have... And then you're like, on the you know, treadmill mediocrity. Yeah, and then you're back on the treadmill of mediocrity. Well, that's... Do you like That's this? basketball, kids. <laughs> that's basketball, kids. Do you like this trade for Houston? Do you like them just downsizing massively and basically punting on center play that doesn't involve PJ Tucker? I do. Um, Before the trade deadline when we spoke about it, I said, look, you need Clint Capella. And as I said just before, you need someone to guard Rudy Gobert in the first round. You need someone to just play the first half against, you know, nominal center Andrew Bogut. That someone is Tyson Chandler now. Well, no, because like, We've seen in the game since then whether they had a really good test case against a dispirited Lakers team with Anthony Davis, one of the best bigs in the game. Um, and then they had a game which they lost on a buzzer beater to Rudy Gobert in the Jazz. But look, you know, a buzzer beater, that, that's a close game. You've done well. Um, it's like you are now Golden State's death lineup. You, instead of in past years where you've been trying to match up against Golden State and you've, trying to been, you've been finding guys that can match up against, you know, Draymond at the five and KD at the four, you now are the precedent that other people have to meet. And we saw in that Utah game, uh, Rudy Gobert was guarding, whenever it was starters against starters, Rudy Gobert was guarding Russell Westbrook. And Russ, you know, pretty much toasted him because he had an open he had an open laneway every single time. Um, yeah, we just went at Gobert rather than trying to get around him. Which I think isn't going to happen in a seven-game series. It's not going to happen four times out of seven. But yeah, it won't. How exciting is it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is. I I don't know. I I don't know. I don't think. 
I think this will end up being misguided because, like, all right, so hypothetically they play the Jazz in the first round and, like, let's say that they... Let's say that Gobert, like, isn't able to stay on the court against quicker guys and if he's guarding Westbrook and they just shoot the lights out and they, like, neutralise Gobert's paint presence. Cool. The next round you're playing, like... Montrez Harrell, let's say. Well, you're playing Montrez Harrell or you're playing someone bigger. You're playing Jokic mm. or you're playing... Um, who's the other team in the monster? You're playing the Lakers with Anthony Davis. Well, maybe not. But you're playing like, yeah, you know, the Memphis Grizzlies and you're going out against Valanciunas and Jaron Jackson. But to be fair, people said the same thing about Golden State and said, well, look, Draymond is cute, but what are you going to do? Yeah, but PJ Tucker's not Draymond and neither is Robert Covington. Robert Covington's not... Yeah. Insert elite role player. Robert Covington's averaging 12 points. He's shooting 35% from three. Like. Yeah, but you don't have to. Oh, Draymond shot worse than three and less points. Yeah, but Robert Covington isn't like, I don't know, a Draymond level defender against like big men. Like I think the theory of it though, the theory of being that one small team, um, you're the only team of your kind pretty much. And teams, it's worth a try. Teams, it, well, this I think it brings them closer to a championship because before... It was looking a bit grim. It was a bit your turn, my turn with James Harden and Russell Westbrook. Um, and now they've got that unknown. They are an unknown quantity that they could absolutely take in the playoffs and go out in the first round, or they could just get absolutely blistering hot and just make it all the way. I think this brings them closer because there's a lot more variance because they are so weird. They are weird. And <laughs> it'll be interesting to see, you know, like there's not, obviously not a lot of time to game plan before, between now and when the postseason starts so like maybe they can you know swing a surprise or something like that but I just feel like if you even if you can manage to get past one jumbo sized team in the west there's you know in the next round there's another one and another one and if you you know if they manage to make it all the way to the finals like who are you playing you're playing like Philly you're playing Atlanta with like Gasol, Siakam, Ibaka, or you're playing Giannis, mm. Brook Lopez, Robin Lopez. <laughs> but if if you've come that far and you actually are, then in it's the finals, a, it's a success. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. Is it better to build a fatal flaw into your roster that might only expose your, itself the deeper that you get, or to <laughs> not? have the chance to get that deep I don't know but I I think well I have my trepidations can I just ask a question sort of related if you're a general manager for 10 years and you can make the playoffs for 8 and make the Western Conference 3 times would you rather that or would you rather be a GM for 10 years and make the finals once but playoffs twice so 8 years of playoffs and no finals or 2 years of playoffs and 1 finals That's a good question. Probably the first one where you make the Western Conference Finals three times because you'd back your ability if you can get to the final four to get to the final two and one of those times at least like win a chip. No, that that's not in the question. Oh. If you make the fight in So you lose you lose every time in Yeah. Oh, that sucks. Well you'd rather that's go Houston's done. You'd rather go to the finals, obviously, but And also you're not factoring in money, which obviously we can't factor that in playoff revenue, but Yeah, yeah. I think, look, this is... We're not factoring context either about Daryl Morey's job. Like, Daryl Morey's yeah. probably going to be fired within the next 12 months, regardless Which of what really happens. sucks. <laughs> oh, it doesn't suck at all, because Tommy Fertitta's an absolute fruit oh, loop, right. and Daryl Morey's going to... Shut gonna, up and listen. Yeah, <laughs> shut up and listen. Daryl Morey's going to um, either jump straight into, like, another job and just do, like, a fucking sick job being the GM there, or he's going to take a year off 
and then like pick whatever hand pick whatever jam job becomes available you know like well when Sam Hinkie rocks up to the South by Southwest conference he is greeted like a rock star yeah alright uh Two more teams in this trade. Let's quickly rush over them. So, not rush. Let's quickly go over them. Uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves have turned Robert Covington and Andrew Wiggins into... Well, let's not talk about Wiggins. They've turned Robert Covington into a whole bunch of role players. They got Juancho Hernan Gomez, Malik Beasley, and they actually got Jared Vanderbilt, who I don't mind as a prospect. And you'd much rather have him than Keita Bates-Diop, who's gone to Denver. You'd much rather have him than Keita Bates-Diop, yep. also colloquially, colloquially known as Keita B. Dick. <laughs> if you um, have ever listened to One Shining Podcast, which yeah. um, sadly, sadly rest in peace, One Shining Podcast, but they coined the term, they coined the phrase Keita B. Dick, because apparently, <laughs> believe it or not, he's got a massive cock. <laughs> uh, I don't know anything about Jared Vanderbilt. I didn't watch him enough in college. He hasn't played enough in the pros. Kate Bates Diop can actually shoot and he can defend three positions. And on a team like <laughs> on a team like Denver, Kate Bates Diop is you know, like Denver now just has the ability I know we started this talking about Minnesota, but let's talk about Denver. Um, it was that little throw in is effectively like Bates Diop for Vanderbilt as like a prospect yeah, prospect. Yeah, yeah. Bates Diop's older, Joe Vanderbilt's like twenty, I think Kate Bates Diop is like twenty four. Yeah. But Denver, if they wanted to, can throw out just an absolute lockdown defensive lineup. Like they could get five, like switchable guys. five of the top forty defenders in the league on the court at any one time. They could throw out a lineup of like Monte Morris, Gary Harris, Cade Bates, Diop, Jeremy Grant, and then like Paul Millsap. Yeah, Paul Millsap. You can throw in Mason Plumlee, shot blocking monster. Mason Plumlee once got a triple double. How fucking whack is that? Yeah, let's not talk about that. No, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. If you're a Plumley or a Zeller brother, let's not mention you. No, well, let's mention the Zeller brothers because Tyler Zeller played at UNC and he was an absolute beast. Let's not talk about the Plumleys though because they played Duke. Yeah. Anyway, I would rather so have. Fun. I would rather have. I think. Kato All right. Dick let's not let's not talk about Jared for Cater because you know I listen to heaps of Denver stuff. I listen to like three different Denver podcasts, so. I'm much more inclined to side with the Denver thing just because I've been seeing him in my Insta feed for the last two years as, well, he's going to get a chance someday. And like, he played really well in summer league, like stuff like that. So let's talk about the actual meaty things of the trade. Um, Malik Beasley and Wancho going to a team that is like a bottom dweller in three points mode. Malik Beasley is good, and you really love Wancho. You've been agitating for the whole season for someone to give him a chance. Wancho Poncho's on, man. Yeah, Wancho Poncho, because he's going to make it rain. <laughs> Malik Beasley had like 21 and like... 10 six, rebounds. Yeah, so, six yeah. threes in, in his first game. And Malik Beasley's good, and so is Wancho. And Denver knows that. Denver wasn't playing them because they weren't good. They were just playing them because Denver might be the deepest... They, were just, yeah. they weren't playing them because they might be the deepest team in the league, and they just like didn't have a spot in the rotation. So... Denver's done really well by getting an extra first round pick in here and Minnesota's done really well because if they are going to be good with their two Civ defensive players um, in Russell and Towns they need like good hard-nosed players around them and Wancho's not overly athletic <laughs> but he, he tries <laughs> yeah. and Beasley is a good defender Yeah, but the issue will be as you look at the trade now the, the value for Minnesota is there and Minnesota comes out looking like a real winner because they've turned Covington into a couple of these good role players and they've turned him into a pick and they've turned him into like a, a prospect in Vanderbilt. Yeah. Oh, prospect in Beasley as well. No, I mean, Beasley's already good. 
But he can get Beasley's better. in his fourth year. You know if I'm you, really high on Beasley. No, I know, but like Beasley being paid two and a half million this year is great value. Beasley being paid fourteen the next year. Well, he was offered three three for thirty, and I don't think he's going to get offered any more than that this season. Like maybe no. I think he's a clutch client. I should probably check that before I say that. But look, he's probably going to get signed three for thirty-three. I could I could easily see someone going over for him, and it's restricted free agency. So like if. You know they have to match. But they have to match, so or they or they lose the, the or they lose the asset. Well, who's going to offer more? So Cleveland's out of it now. So Detroit can offer some money. Yeah, but why would they? They've still they're still paying Blake Griffin and Reggie Jackson. Yeah, but um, actually not. not there's the so the many sign and trade possibilities. I just don't think there is. I think they're going to resign him, and it's going to be variously. Do you want to do you want a better handshake on it? Oh, let's do it. I bet that he makes no more than. 11 million a year. Uh, all right, I'll take 12 and up. We just shook hands. Well, let's just shake on a crunchy, or a crunchy and a picnic. Crunchy and a picnic. By the way, um, Dante has never eaten a chiquito for people listening in like good chocolates. Retweet if you've never eaten a chiquito. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, fuck, that's cringe. Um, so when I first heard this trade, I didn't actually like it for Denver because I said, look, you've got off your... You got rid of Jared Vanderbilt. No, you got what off are your, you doing? You got off your two chips that were Wancho and Beasley yeah. in the one trade when maybe you could have swindled them for like two different teams. Maybe yeah. you got something better collectively. Um, but then I think about the playoffs where um, Mike Malone plays like seven guys and like... Beasley's not going to get a chance unless um, Will Barton shits the bed again. But because of the emergence of Will Barton being a really good player this year and Michael Porter Jr. actually giving like solid minutes, they can afford to give these guys away. And the pick that they got back, um, I think that's Houston's pick that they got. Yeah, it is. The pick that they got back, all that's going to do is draft the next Wancho or Malik Beasley and then they're going to recycle it all. Or they're going to draft the next... like. I don't know. Donovan a be- Mitchell. A better player, yeah. I just think that this is because the Cronkies, the ownership um, party and family of the Denver Nuggets do not want to pay the tax. This was a tax-saving move and they're just going to keep because they're, they're such good drafters. Like, what's what's the last pick that Denver, this owner, this Tim Connolly ownership group has missed on? Like, every single pick they take. Even the second-round picks. Yeah. Like, obviously, you got um, Jokic there. But every single pick they take, they hit on it. So I think this is pretty much a flex because they're saying, well, when next year's draft comes around, we're just going to draft another really good role player with the 28th pick, and then he's going to play for four years, and then we're going to trade him away for another one. And it's just this constant cycling of role players that they get really great value on. Tim Connolly's just a boss. Yeah, I, I told you he shouted me beers one time. Yeah, that's classic. <laughs> classic Tim. Name drop. Classic Tim. All right. Have we used up all of our Minnesota and Denver content? I think yeah. we have. I think we have. Well, let's uh, let's take a break and we'll get back in a second. Hi, guys. Sean here. Just quickly saying, if you haven't already, to please follow us on all of our socials. So we've got Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and a little bit of a deep two special. We've also got a LinkedIn page if you're that way inclined. And if you want to support the pod, the best things you can do is, yes, follow all those pages, but also if you could give us five-star ratings on iTunes as well as follow the podcast on Spotify or whatever you do on Google Podcasts. I don't know anyone that uses Google Podcasts, but good on you if you're doing that. So let's get back into it. Or for those people listening on 1.5 or two times speed, let's get back into it. So we want to talk a little bit about a thought experiment that 
we wanted to do, which is basically pitting two ascendant stars against each other and asking the question, who would you rather build your franchise around? Assuming that you've got both of them on a contract that's relatively similar, let's say like close to a max contract going forward, who would you want to build your team around if you were an NBA GM? Would it be Donovan Spider Mitchell or would it be Brandon Humble Beast Ingram? The other nicknames Tiny Dog. The other nicknames that basketball reference has for Brandon Ingram is Tiny Dog and Slender Man, which obviously you don't need to explain that one. Slender Man fucking terrified me when I was in like year nine. Well, actually, today I was going through my YouTube saved. Sorry, can I say Donovan Mitchell's two listed nicknames are Spider and Spider? Spider. Um, so I was going through my saved uh, YouTube videos. Oh, you don't watch YouTube. You probably don't have these memories, but going through Slender Man, Slender Man, COD, COD, uh, Minecraft, Slender Man, it's just like. You're talking another language. There was 191 man. videos in there. <laughs> <laughs> it's like. Um, Minecraft Hunger Games and then that uh, there was some Spanish dude that used to play COD for Machina anyway uh, Ramble now I've gone through and considered these two players Donovan Mitchell and Tiny Dog (laughs) Tiny Dog so I don't think it's fair to say if you're starting a franchise I think that's one of the ways you have to evaluate them would you rather have this player if you're starting a franchise um, would you rather have this player if you were a team like Utah for the last two seasons where you are the alpha and omega of the offense? Not necessarily that you're a good defensive team, but there's no options and no versatility on de- on offense if you are the go-to guy. Um, this New Orleans team, and I define that as someone who can play second fiddle to Zion, who's clearly the best player on the team. Um, so how, how would these guys fit when they are definitely the number two? Uh, obviously a rebuilding team like if you are starting the process and you are grabbing a guy how would you build around him that's the argument that you said at the start and then how do these players look if you're adding to um, a championship course advice how would they fare if they were Marcus Morris joining the Clippers right now Um, and these two players are very similar uh, they've both had leaps this season so Donovan Mitchell quite less of a leap but he was at a higher let's say threshold he was at a higher level beforehand um and when you put the stats side by side which i probably should have done before we got on i did do it yesterday um they're quite similar they're both averaging 24 25 and what i like is that they're both shooting a lot so ingram's shooting 6.3 threes a game and mitchell's shooting 6.7 they're both making roughly the same it's just i think this really comes down to philosophies and i'm interested to hear what your philosophy is well, it's been really difficult for me to kind of differentiate between them because I think when looking at these two players and trying to draw like a historical comparison, I think this iteration of Brandon Ingram, the obvious comparison is Kevin Durant, not just because of body type, but because of his multiplicity as a scorer, his ability to handle the ball um, and his ability to remain efficient even at high volume. And for Mitchell, the comparison for a few years that's been made by everyone who watched him at Team USA and himself has been Dwayne Wade now he's obviously not at that level of like third year Dwayne Wade where Miami wins the fucking mm. championship well know. well well someone who's picked Utah to win yeah. the title yeah <laughs> anyway the only team that's been built around like a diminutive scoring guard that's won a championship since Dwayne Wade is 
the Steph Curry Warriors. And if you look at that less as like a a roadmap, a bible of team building and more as like a historical aberration, it gets harder and harder to justify building your team around a player like Mitchell who you talk about wanting him to shoot a lot. Um, he's averaging 24 points on 20 attempts and he only makes 35% of his threes. So he's taking, which is, is not terrible, but it's not great either. Mm-hmm. He doesn't get to the rim enough. Um, he only takes four and a half free throws a game and that's it's down from last year, slightly up from his rookie year. So he's been relatively stagnant all within that like four to five attempts per game and like the best scoring guards in the league no matter what position they play are the dudes who get to the rim you're looking at dudes like Harden you're looking at dudes like Steph so Devin the, Booker yeah Devin Booker those dudes shoot like dozens and dozens of free throw attempts and because Mitchell his offensive game is predicated around the mid range where he's actually one of the best scorers in the league but it's just I don't know stylistically would I rather hitch myself to a um, the wagon of somebody like Mitchell who who is never going to be it looks like a consistent three point shooter um, or enough to like, you know warp a defense and make them really respect him and he can't get to the line well let's or am I going to hitch it to like the dynamic scoring wing that's shooting 40% from three and I'm leaning towards the second one I think well let's go through my four situations so let's say you, you spot let's say you have this Utah team um, and you swap them out with Brandon Ingram so you've got a guy in Donovan Mitchell who comes down, handles the ball, and he is forced to create ugly mid-ranges in the playoffs because he is the only guy the defense cares about. It's like, all right, I'm Joe Ingles, you can hit shots, that's fine, but you're not going to kill us. Like, we really need to zone in on this guy. That's why I also really like the addition of Conley because it adds a little bit of dynamism to their offense. And oh, in theory. In theory, but he hasn't played that well until this most recent week. Um, so would you rather, in that Alpha and Omega, would you rather have um, him... Uh, or Brandon Ingram. Brandon Ingram. Because Ingram, Ingram's open offense is transferable, and all of the things that Mitchell does well, those point guard skills, Ingram has them as well. They average the same assists. They have pretty much the same usage. They're both the highest usage players on their team, like like right up there. Yeah. Um, in like the low thirties, which is you know like quite high. They both average a shade over four assists. They both average like about twenty five points. It's just that like. Brandon Ingram shoots 40% from three and almost 48% from the field, and Donovan Mitchell doesn't do that. Donovan Mitchell's shooting 45 That's also a situation as well, because Brandon Ingram hasn't done this for the last three years. Well, that's years. the thing, is that at least with Mitchell, you've seen consistent growth. And it's, but it's just consistent like, in a bad offensive situation. I don't think that that's true, though, because you look at the... Um, you look at the Jazz and, and it's easy to say like, oh, like they're a bad offensive situation. But at least this year, that's not true. The Jazz offense for most of the year has been better than the Jazz defense. And even in years past, like, sure, like Ricky Rubio is not a world beater, but Ricky Rubio is a really, really good point guard. You could have, like, R- Ricky Rubio pretty much like offense proofs your team. Like, you're... Mm-hmm. you're, you're you know, you're not going to have an awful offense with Ricky Rubio. Rudy Gobert is the best role man in the NBA. He's the best interior yeah. finisher. And we're talking about 
um, Capella before, you know, being like, he's rumbling down the lane in Atlanta. That means that someone has to stay at home and respect that. Rudy Gobert is the ultimate principle of that. Like, Derek Favors is like a, you know, that maybe the fit wasn't good, but for all of those years, Derek Favors averaging, you know, like between 12 and 15 points and giving you like a good post play and a nice mid range jumper. They, They've had players. They've had ball movement up the wazoo that's allowed players to attack hmm. open lanes. Like all those amazing rim-rattling Mitchell dunks are because they've had ball movement and there's an open lane for him to attack. Now, hmm. not you know, obviously he's an incredible player, but I think the whole idea of the Jazz being like a bad offensive team and, and Mitchell being like forced into taking these like end-of-clock pull-up twos is a bit misguided because he, you know... Hmm. five seconds or 14 seconds on the clock like if Mitchell can take two dribbles um, in you know inside the three point line if he, if he don't, can't get to the rim he's pulling it you know mm-hmm. and he's really good from there he's one of the best shooters from each elbow in the NBA so it just depends on how much you believe that you know that's like a, a skill that you want to ride or die on whereas Ingram uh, you know hasn't had the production that for you know the, the, the clear kind of linear ascent that Mitchell's had but the core skills have always been there for Ingram. Like his playmaking has always been there. The numbers weren't gaudy in LA, but when he got the chance to run the show, like he proved that he could. He's had two seasons where he shot above 39% from three and both of them were on reasonably high usage. So he's now shown that he's got that, you know, out of that ability in the in-between areas where he can post up a smaller player and much like Kevin Durant kind of like fade over the top. And he's also a decent finisher inside. He's not great inside, but he's okay. And, you know, it mm. has to be said, Mitchell's also not great inside. He's okay. Mm. Yeah, if Mitchell's not rattling the rim with a dunk, then he struggles to finish over length. So, I, uh, so I'll just say, uh, at the end of the day, I've actually gone with Brandon Ingram here just because, so this year he's shooting 40% from three on over six attempts a game. Uh, for his career, it was rookie year, he took two and a half, then the next two years he took 1.8. So yes, he shot 39%, but it was on two attempts a game and yeah. he made less than one three per game. So yeah. I don't really see that as a good shooter because if he's taken two a game, then like you know, you and I could take two a game and call ourselves a good shooter. Yeah. Um, so I really do like that he's got high volume and he's got high efficiency. And like I was going to go through all my next three situations, but if you're... If you're this next, if you're this New Orleans team and you're trying to find a second star next to Zion, who's the bona fide number one, or if you're a rebuilding team and you're the Sixers and you draft him instead of New Orleans Noel, if he's the first piece you draft, or if you're a contender who's adding Marcus Morris, all those situations you would rather have the wing who's capable on defense, who can hit a shot at a very very elite level. Um, and I think, like, let's say you're, if he's next to Zion, if Zion creates a hole in the defense, you can swing it out to Brandon Ingram, who can either attack the hole, create for himself, or just hit a wide open three, or hit, even hit a contested three. If you're rebuilding, if they, let's say, hypothetically, you could swap out Nolan's Noel with Brandon Ingram in that first um, process draft, you've got a guy in Brandon Ingram who, let's and let's say you already knew four years later who was going to be who he is today, You've got a guy who, no matter who you draft next, whether that's Ben Simmons or whether that's Joel Embiid, like whoever you draft, Fits. he's going to fit because he can either play off or with him or be 1A, 1B, or he can be a bona fide second, which I think he is next to Zion. And obviously, any contender, throw him out there for all the reasons I just said. He can attack off creases in the defense. He can hit his own shot. 
if this three-point shooting is a contract year aberration because uh, he's going to get paid after this season for being an elite shooter and being an elite scorer. He's going to get maxed. If he drops back down and this shooting isn't for real, then all of a sudden you've got a guy who causes a problem because if he's not that great shooter, then Dave Hedges is not going to respect him and then you sort of have to work around him. Like, can him and Zion play together at the three and the four and the four and the five now if they're both not elite shooters? Can I just say Zion hit four threes in his first game um, and for his career he's hit four threes. Yeah. Um, but so it is so reliant on the three-point shooting. So, you know, I want to see it maintained, but, you know, one year and it's high volume and I trust it. If this isn't for real, Ingram's shooting and he drops down five percentage points next year in his three-point, then guess what? He's as good a shooter as from three as Donovan Mitchell is now. Yeah, but Donovan Mitchell does other things. Yeah, but so does Brandon Ingram. I just don't trust Brandon Ingram's other things. <laughs> Brandon Ingram's a really good player. I really like Brandon Ingram. Yeah, that's nice. Trade yeah. for him in fantasy. <laughs> I got off of him, but I'm going to stick with my Bruce Brown. <laughs> did you pick him up in fantasy? Yeah, I did. How's that coming for you? Yeah, he's all right. He's fine. <laughs> he's fine? He's 10 and 6. He's going to get waived? Nah. Oh, nah. Maybe. Um, you know who's not going to get waived just shout out to my boy Sardo Tomas Sadoransky untouchable for anyone who's listening <laughs> alright we've hit the fantasy this basketball is, this is a threat <laughs> we've hit the fantasy basketball part of the podcast so I think that's time for us to go home even though you're already at home in your house <laughs> um, yeah well that was a sort of anticlimactic discussion but you know this is kind of classic us where we both like we provoke broadly, each other and then, broadly agree with each other but then still provoke each other um, we we will probably revise it when Donovan Mitchell is the champion I don't even know if Donovan Mitchell is the best player on his own team he's not yeah well Brandon Ingram isn't Zion's the best player on his team nah yeah nah Drew Holiday Frank Jackson <laughs> <laughs> Zion is the best player on that team Brandon Ingram's an all-star Zion's played eight games so um, you know, I've got, I've, I've bet on um, Zion to win Rookie of the Year at four stages throughout the league, throughout the year. And you're going to lose a lot of money to the man with the double eyebrow slit, yeah. John Moran. Yeah, shit, double eyebrow slit. As soon as you said that, I thought you meant on both eyebrows, but no, you mean double on the one. No, he has... He's got double on... He's got both. God, we really have strayed away from... John Moran eyebrows. <laughs> Demetrius, man. Demetrius <laughs> Morant. You know, there was there yeah. was a video that came from the TNT set the other day and Chuck thought that Ja Morant sorry, Shaq thought that Ja Morant was like his last name and he was like talking about, Oh yeah, Ja Morant, he's really good, yeah. <laughs> ja Morant. They're like, Oh, like Ja's his first name. <laughs> We're like two thirds of the way through the fucking season, and Shaq didn't even know that the rookie of the year's name is Jar. I reckon they put that on, but I do like it when they put it on with who he played for. Yeah, um, true. We should actually do that right now. Uh, uh, who he played for? You know, I'm probably just going to cut this because I can't think of anyone. Ah, uh, Langston Galloway. Detroit. Nobody. <laughs> 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 <You got> cut. <laughs> anyway. 
Let's yeah, let's chat. wrap up. We don't need any more drama. Yeah. Eyebrow talk. Thanks so much for listening. You should all um, read the posts that we put up uh, on the Medium blog today um, for a little bit of the insight into some of the trades that we didn't touch on today. Um, and going forward, we'll be keeping you up to date with all the rest of the movement on the buyout market as um, players get uh, waived and announce where they're signing. So we'll keep you up to date with that next week. But... For now, thanks for listening to our trade deadline recap and discussion about whether you would like to have Spider or Tiny Dog, (laughs) Humble Beast, (laughs) on your team. Thank you.